Guess what, guys? There's only one place you can get a true Colorado mountain pie. It's your favorite locally owned, legendary, unbelievably delicious pizza joint, Bojo's. And guess what? They're giving the DNVR family a free honey cheese bread with a purchase of an entree. That's right. The only place you can find a true Colorado mountain mouthwatering pie is Bojo's. And they are hooking you up with free honey cheese bread. The Colorado Mountain Pie has become a staple for not only natives, but those who are just passing through and want to know where the best pizza in town is. Bojo's is the only answer. Bojo's dough is made fresh daily and contains locally sourced honey. You heard that right. They infuse their dough with natural sweetener and it is to die for. There's something for everyone at Bojo's. Large delicious mountain pies for the entire family. A huge salad bar. With fresh veggies galore, Colorado beer on tap, including our personal favorite, Breck Brews, and your favorite sports team playing in the background. Bojo's has private party rooms for all your get-togethers, including birthday parties and large business events. They have $4 happy hours in select locations, along with gluten-free and plant-based options. So head to the nearest location, grab an entree, and your free honey cheese bread when you mentioned DNVR. Check out their site today at bojos.com. That's B-E-A-U-J-O-S.com and tell them who sent you. Let's start this thing. Broncos country is Sitting in the south stands Drinking the curves from mile high The best part of the weekend Hugging the perfect stranger they become a friend Having a good time When the orange and blue W-I-N Tuning in Every day With the good folks down DNVR Hey everybody, welcome to the DNVR Broncos podcast Presented by Strava Craft Coffee Before we jump into the show I want to tell you about this really awesome deal For DNVR listeners This is CBD-infused coffee, and it not only tastes incredible, but it can relieve everyday aches and pains, anxiety, migraines, and so much more. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully. Use code DNVR20 to receive 20% off. And I'll tell you, Andre, we're busy here. I was thinking late last night before I went to bed about how every minute that we're down here is accounted for with something, and... We're not getting a tremendous amount of sleep, so I think we really wish that they had Strava Craft Coffee down here in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, that's true. That, the, that's Strava stuff. You the know. regular coffee just isn't cutting it. I'm actually having apple juice anyway. So that's Andre Simone. I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for joining us here on the yes. DMVR Broncos podcast, the second of our three shows brought to you direct from LA, Lower Alabama. <laughs> we're here in Mobile for Senior Bowl week. The first practices were completed on Tuesday as well as player weigh-ins. Practice will continue today, Thursday. We'll view one practice on Thursday before we uh, get out of here yeah. on Friday. And you can also go to the dnvr.com if you haven't and we appreciate you those of you mm-hmm. who subscribe. You can check out some notes 
that Andre and I both had from the Tuesday practices. We decided to divide and conquer a little bit. My piece is focused mainly on the offensive and defensive lines. I was watching those areas closely. Andre, you were paying more attention to other positions, the receivers and cornerbacks mm-hmm. in particular, which meant you also saw the quarterbacks. And yeah. even though the Broncos aren't shopping for an early round quarterback, we'll just start there because it is I a like point it. of national national attention. Yeah. And I didn't see the one-on-one passes. I did see some seven-on-seven, and I saw all of the team period reps. And it's not good. It's it's not pretty, not very deep out here as far as the quarterback position uh, goes. There's a pretty steep drop-off once you get past top couple of guys. Yeah, I thought I thought Herbert kind of showed off how pretty polished he is compared to some of the other guys which is not a way I'd describe his game but he looked more polished than anyone else there uh certainly was helping his receivers more than any other quarterback here I thought both Steven Montez and Jordan Love had their flashes uh Steven Montez kind of pulled uh the Paxton Lynch special where first snap of seven on sevens he takes off and runs uh, which I, I was watching with someone and was kind of like, oh, man, what are we doing here? What's going on? Well, but there then is has... one thing with Montez. Sometimes he does have the Paxton Lynch look about him. But when you talk to Steven Montez, I'll say this we'll yeah. story later on this yes. week. Completely different guy. But the look and some of the decision making at times can be Paxton-esque. I think it's a big part of why he's going to work with Jordan Palmer yeah. over the course of the next few weeks uh and joe burrow is going to be there working with him as well as part of that group quite the endorsement for Stephen that jordan is uh yes. is adding him to his team since that's such a select kind of unique group every year now montez he did settle down mm-hmm. he had a pick yeah but still far ahead of some other quarterbacks i thought uh, there were some flashes from anthony gordon but he also fumbled a snap from under center uh-huh. at a washington mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. um Jordan Love, you touched on him, incredibly raw. Basically, he is what he was advertised as. Yeah. The top two or three throws are outstanding. Right. right. But there's a wide variance in the quality of his work. Um, right. Struggled to complete yeah. passes on one-on-ones at times, yes. you know, kind of spraying the ball. Shea Patterson was easily the LVP. Um, just so he wins know. the Tanner Lee award. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. The Tanner <laughs> Lee award. I think we're going to have a few of those this year. Um, yeah, there's always one quarterback, no matter how good the crop is down here, Andre, there's always one who shows pretty quickly that he just doesn't belong. It's just not there. And that is Shea Patterson this year. And uh, Jalen Hurts was a mixed bag, I thought, mostly disappointing. Missed a few throws and didn't have the flashy throws that guys like Montez and Love had. So, you know, the the downs were there, but the ups weren't nearly as high. So you don't like to see that from Hurts. But there's time to polish up and uh, improve things with that as well. So, uh Interesting day for for someone like Herbert. I think he did wonders for his stock. Jordan Love, on the other hand, a guy who earlier in that day had been mocked at 13 to the Colts, I believe, and Daniel Jeremiah's mock, uh, didn't look like a top 15 pick to me. Well, let's see what he does today and tomorrow. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, with 
some of these quarterbacks, the tale is told by the progress they made. Yes. And one thing, even though the skill set isn't exactly the same, but the trajectory could be the same, was Josh Allen a couple of years ago. Yeah. That first day yeah. was rough. Yeah. By day three, he was ascending rapidly. I thought the Thursday practice that year, he was toe-to-toe with Baker Mayfield. Yep. And that was not something that you could say on day one. It wasn't that Mayfield was playing badly. It was that Josh Allen made some strides out there from day to day and took to the teaching. So I want to see if Jordan Love and Steven Montez can both kind of adapt to what they're learning uh, and put it into their game. It's one thing to hear the teaching from the coaches out here. It's another to actually apply it to your game. That's, Good point. That's sort of the final level of understanding is being able to you know, make it translate to what you're doing at full speed, make it become yeah. part of your muscle memory, mm-hmm. et cetera. So that's something I want to see from Jordan Love and Steven Montez. Montez, I'm intrigued by him. And again, I think uh, the fact that you mentioned it when I said Jordan Palmer is going to be coaching him, the fact that he got Jordan Palmer to coach him. Mm-hmm. That's something that says a lot just because Palmer's one of the prime, the, pr- the premium quarterback gurus out there yeah. right now. And uh, I also think being around Joe Burrow is going to help. Yeah. That'd be Steven great. Montez mm-hmm. once the two of them start working together. And also with Cole Anderson out of Hawaii, uh, that's uh, Jordan Palmer's trio for this year. Yeah. Intriguing group right there. Lots of upside. It should be noted that I think, some of the highest drafted prospects I've seen out here in Mobile in my three years, whether it be Daniel Jones, Josh Allen, who you just mentioned, Marcus Davenport, day one, they were among my losers. And by day three or even after the game, they kind of rose, they, they helped their stock enough. And it's worth mentioning that day, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, but Tuesday is the most brutal day of all. These guys have to wake up super early. They're being put through these weigh-ins. Then it's media availability, and they're just going from, you know, there's like hundreds of us out here, and they're just jumping from one to the next. And they go pretty much straight to practice after media availability, especially if you're uh, on the uh, South team. They practiced first. They got done with media about 1145. They started practice at 1, so basically it was get done, get on the bus, go over to the stadium, get ready, and then start practicing. Pretty lickety split for those guys. Yeah, I'm first time practicing with new coaches, new teammates. So, hey, mm-hmm. there's there's some margin of error built into this. You, you aren't going to be perfect. But the guys who do impress really stand out because they're handling all that scrutiny and they're really showing off. And admittedly for the quarterbacks, there's a higher level involved with it just because of the role in the offense. It's a little easier for guys at some other positions, especially, I would say, on – the defensive line and yeah. wide receiver and cornerback and even on the O-line because it shows up in one-on-one drills mm-hmm. to demonstrate what they have. And right. so let's start with, in your opinion, you're the top guy you saw yesterday, regardless of position. <sighs> It'd be like a four-way tie, but I think the, the biggest standout to me at just about any position might have been Dane Jackson, the cornerback out of Pittsburgh. Okay. Really impressive in one-on-ones. I think he has like three pass deflections very quickly. Um, looks perfectly suited as kind of a cover two corner. Mm-hmm. A guy who, when you have him on that the flats, just reading and reacting, 
Uh, his instincts really showed off. His kind of quick twitch movements showed off. His ball skills showed off, of course. Um, and the fact that despite being 5'11", 180, not the longest arms, was not deterred by the bigger wide receivers he went against. Played really well. Um, so he really stood out early and often to me. I was really impressed because he he was kind of a, one of the smaller names, not, not a guy who had a ton of fanfare coming uh-huh. in. But he, he showed off right away, very first practice, and uh, was impressive and looks to fit, uh, uh, could fit as a zone cornerback, which is what Denver's looking for. It's amazing how just the schematic change of the last year has oh. transformed what Drastically. you're looking for mm-hmm. uh, from the cornerbacks. And uh, really, I, what's interesting as well is that I think it makes it a little easier for the Broncos because you have more teams that are playing zone, mm-hmm. they're doing press man stuff. I think when the Broncos were in the Wade Phillips and then Joe Woods schemes, yeah, you were trying to do a lot more projection based off the college film. Oh, yeah. Now, with the the vast majority of teams doing zone, I mean, for press man, you got to look to, like, in Alabama, you got to look mm-hmm. at uh, Virginia Tech and – I imagine Tech will say this, stay the same schematically uh, moving on from Bud Foster retired yeah. because they stayed in-house, but still it's only a handful of teams that show you a lot of press man stuff. Absolutely, and you're right. That's why you project, and that's why you take gambles on guys like Brandon Langley, and that's mm-hmm. why that comes back to bite you sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brandon <laughs> Langley. Well, why did you have to go there? Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> I really thought they, they thought they had a, the next Xavier Howard when they drafted him. And it didn't work that way. See, I, I like the pick of Isaac Yadam a year later more than Brennan Langley. I, mm-hmm. I, I was out here watching Langley in 2017, and I just recall a guy who grabbed all the time. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, okay, that's the guy who's a third-round pick. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, re- not really the guy I'd want. Um, it's obvious to me, based especially going O-line, D-line, um, Javon Kinlaw is just is the real deal. Yeah. And a pretty insane blend of power mm-hmm. and and uh, and quickness, the ability to to shed blockers, the ability to uh, kind of to use whatever he's given against him. I mean, what he's got so much strength in his upper yeah. body yeah. that yeah. if an O-lineman goes low and gets leverage, mm-hmm. he's able to turn that into his advantage because his upper body is so strong. He actually, yeah. at one point, when he it looked like he was going to be beaten because the low man wins, he just basically got his arms to the shoulders and right. shoved right. the guy out of the way. There was one play uh, when they were doing kind of a, a, ta- a tandem blocking period. So you had two guys, and then Kinlaw just splits them. Yeah. goes around the mm-hmm. outside shoulder of the guard without even blinking. Yeah. It was just silly. So his anticipation of the snap is just is preternatural. Very impressive. Uh, long wingspan as well. He has the largest wingspan of any player on the defensive side of the ball right. here. Right. I mean, he's basically got a wingspan that an offensive tackle would kill for. Oh, yeah. And he's playing interior defensive line. Yeah, and that's what makes him... So dynamic, really, is that combination of first-step quickness and length. 
are really hard to stop because uh, the the length allows him to do what you were just describing, mm-hmm. and then that quickness just makes him so. I mean, you really need to be on your p's and q's to stop this guy, and he can handle double teams with ease. It's uh, he's impressive. The sky is the limit for him. Yeah, the the guy who held his own, oh, and it was yeah. kind of you know, it wasn't like he stonewalled him, but he was able to hold him off, show tenacity, and make sure that Kinlaw did not get to the spot in two, 2.2 seconds or fewer as he did so often. It was LSU's Lloyd Cushenberry. Yeah. And you talked with him at the media day. I talked with him for a little bit mm-hmm. over there as well. He said that when he put his name into the NFL draft advisory board, yeah, that he was told, stay in school, don't come out. Ultimately, he decided to, and I'm thinking, based on what we saw at LSU, what we saw yesterday, with especially him going against Kinlaw, what were they looking at? Because Cushenberry not only looks ready to make the jump, he looks ready to be a plug-and-play day one starter at center. I think he also wins the Dalton Reisner Award as most impressive guy I spoke to. There was something about Dalton when I talked to him a year ago where mm-hmm. the light bulb just went off. It was like, wow, this guy's different. This guy, this is who you want representing your franchise and you know, being on your team and talking to the media for you. It was just so impressive. Locke was maybe the second most impressive guy a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought Cushenberry was right there. And we talk about character. We talk about leaders. That's the guy I would target in Cushenberry. And I was asking him, dude, you've played against the best of the best of college football tackles. I mean, you you can see him against the Alabama guys. You can see him against the Georgia guys. You can see him against Neville Gallimore, the Oklahoma guy. I mean, he really played against a who's who of the top defensive tackles in college football. He won a national championship eight days ago mm-hmm. is a late invite here and accepts it i was like why are you even here he was like i just want to compete i just want to be here for the experience super sharp to talk with very self-aware talked about his athleticism but wanting to improve some things talked about how earlier in his career he played guard and he feels like he could play all three spots on the interior offensive line so he's really impressive um and boy, if you came away with a draft, just drafting Kinlong Cushenberry, you'd have to feel pretty good, huh? You'd feel phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. The Now, it's three months out, so I don't want everyone to kind of yes. go too crazy about this, but... Tis early. One of the things that was buzzing around, at least my part of the uh, stands where I was watching practice yesterday, was the notion that Tampa Bay, picking at number 14... It's very high on Javon Kinlaw. And if they yeah. can figure out what they're doing at quarterback, whether it's to bring back Jameis Winston or to pursue a veteran in free agency, it looks like the latter route is the one they're going to go at this point. Then they would have the freedom to take a guy like Kinlaw. Yeah. Number 14. And, oh, Interesting. you know. Right. The pick ahead. Boy, Shelby Harris, man, that tipped ball. How many How many prospects is it going to cost the Broncos? Oh, here? gosh. And the thing about that game was that the Raiders really deserved to win that game. Absolutely. <laughs> they were the better team. They were fundamentally Absolutely. the better team that day by miles. And 
Oh. Uh, that, but there were also games where the Broncos were the better team and lost. I yeah. mentioned this to you <laughs> yeah. in one of our conversations this week that really that result and the Charger result in terms of randomness kind of canceled out some of the random losses that you had in close games earlier that year. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Broncos, I believe their final record in games decided by seven or fewer points was eight and eight. So okay. doesn't uh, lend itself to a team that was particularly lucky or unlucky mm-hmm. in the big picture. But, man, I liked a little bit less luck there because <laughs> yeah. at 6-10, and 10, you're picking 10th. Uh, oh, man. And actually, <sighs> just thinking about this, I know there are, are a lot of fans that say you got to win every game, and sure. you can, and I get yeah. that. But when the draft comes and the Broncos, if they stand pat at 15 see some guys that wouldn't look good in orange and blue going off the board between 10 and 14. I think there are going to be some people who rethink whether it was a good thing to beat the Raiders in week 17. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Everyone was on the same page. Will Parks let Hunter Renfro get inside of him? Shelby just needs to let that pass through. But the other thing is that people, I know they want to beat the Raiders, but... uh, People say, well, okay, you can trade up. Oh, you win the game, but you can trade up. But then that's draft capital that you're sacrificing that you wouldn't otherwise have to sacrifice. So I don't know. I, Yeah, I get the people who say you, you win every game, and, and the players have to put forth their effort, and they're not, and you, you're not going to tell them not to try. This is just one of those random things where in retrospect you're like, oh, wish, I wish he, that pass would have been completed. Yeah, pretty I, much. Yeah, because it's going to cut into what they can do in the draft a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's for sure. So, especially some of the top guys in the trenches, like Kinlaw, or some of the top. I mean, maybe Tristan Wirfs, for example, I doesn't know. drop. Although, uh, I don't think this comes to pass. Okay. But uh, the Daniel Jeremiah mock draft, where he had Jerry Judy falling all the way to fifteen. I have said of the top, top guys, I do feel like he's the one who might be uh, scrutinized. And you do that draft thing where you start to talk circles around. Well, he's not an elite athlete. He doesn't have elite size. This is one of those things where there's a few too many drops. The farther you mm -hmm. get from the season, the more you sometimes set yourself up to make mistakes because you remove yourself from the game film. Yes. And from your initial reactions mm-hmm. to the player. And sometimes mm-hmm. those initial reactions are, are spot on and yeah. most accurate. Yeah. That, okay, this this guy, he's a baller. Yeah. But then you get into silly season in February and March and you start saying, oh, well, he's a four four nine forty guy and these other guys are four 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 and four three nine forty guys. Right. And, ah, oh, man. Just, you you got to just... Don't overthink this. Yep. The further you get from the field, the I, funny season kicks in. I, I mean. think draft decisions would be better for teams if the draft were in February. 100%. 100%. So you just got to take advantage of that and uh, you know, put blinders on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ignore anything that happens after February. Okay, so uh, yeah, I so Kinlaw and Cushenberry uh Jason Strobridge from North Carolina on yeah. the defensive line for yeah. the North team. He really I think he was the guy who probably made himself the most money 
based on what he did, dominant at times in one-on-one reps. There was one early rep that he that he just looked kind of off. It was a a one-on-one, but they were kind of emphasize, emphasizing what you do uh-huh. against the run, and he was pretty easily guided out of position. After that, you saw the coaches kind of sit, talk to him for a little bit, and he nodded his head a couple of times. I don't know what exactly was said because I was just kind of viewing from a distance. Yeah. After that, he cleaned up. He dominated. He won every one-on-one rep that mm-hmm. followed. At one point literally just kind of almost tossing alignment out of his way yeah. as he got into the backfield. Actually, on thednvr.com, you can find uh, the gif of that moment. And just, yeah, I love that you threw that in. Yeah, just a terrific day for him. And they were moving him all around. You saw him You saw him at 4-3 uh, end. You saw him working on the inside, and he was uh, at both spots to equal effectiveness. And... Uh, you know, there's players like Kinlaw and Cushenberry that we know, but uh, a guy like Jason Strobridge is not somebody that uh, uh, got a lot of national pub coming out of North Carolina. Right. Their defense was kind of inconsistent at times yeah. this year. Uh, had some flashes, but he looked like a guy who I think may have taken himself from that uh, round six, late round five category all the way into day two. He's a guy I'd like to talk to before we leave Mobile for sure because uh, interesting what he did. Uh, and then I thought another big winner was uh, your guy, Antonio Gandy-Golden. Mm-hmm. Boy, was he impressive. Um, the size, the hands stand out, the, and more athletic than I than I really thought. Uh, not just the straight line speed, but his uh, kind of quick twitch ability to turn and break on the ball. And mm-hmm. once he does that, uh, you're done. Once once he gets body positioning, he's 6'3", 220 with strong hands, you're there's no corner who can get around that or make a play on the ball. So if the Broncos really did not have Cortland Sutton, mm-hmm. I would say Gandy Golden would be high on their list, especially if yeah. they wanted to wait until early in round two to take a receiver. I think it's 50 50 that he's still there when the Broncos pick in round two. But the skill set, you already have that with Cortland Sutton. You're looking in different directions. You're looking more at vertical speed, and that's why I think they would go uh, in another direction if given the option of taking him. But somebody's going to be ecstatic with him. And oh uh, yeah, I mean, you look at uh, you look at some teams. I mean, I could even see the Chiefs taking a look at him. Oh please no, because he's a phenom. I was watching some of his tape last night after practice, and. Uh, Two minutes in on a cut-up against UMass in 2018, he's making an insane one-handed grab down the sideline. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy has talent for days, and he's just raw, you know? He's just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think those were kind of the four big winners for, for the two of us. No quarterbacks in that group. Uh, if we were scrutinizing Herbert, you could okay. include Herbert, okay. I'd say. Yeah, I'll also, just for a joke, but kind of <laughs> serious... I will throw in uh, Braden Mann, the punter from out of Texas A&M. There you go. Punted for the uh, North team. Yeah. Texas A&M, North. Who knew? (laughs) Geography (laughs) is sort of thrown out the window here, of course. Sure is. There's something about sports geography that just doesn't make sense because longtime NFL fans can surely recall the days when the Atlanta Falcons and Carolina Panthers were in the NFC West. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. Yeah. The good old days. West of what? The Atlantic? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, geography and football, because college football does this too. Not a not a thing. But yeah, Braden Man, he had a the two punts that could qualify as miss hits because they didn't have good hang time. Still went north of forty yards on a a cold, humid day at sea level. Yeah. When I talk when I talked to him before practice, he actually mentioned how even though he was in Houston, he grew up following the Broncos. Right. He said Yeah, tell that story. Yeah, he said that there was a photo of his sister with somebody in a Broncos uniform and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't I don't know who the player was. I never kind of figured it out, never did the research into it. But said when he was a kid he just saw that photo and thought, Okay, I'll kind of pull for the Broncos and Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> it takes. He did say he would love to kick at altitude. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As any punter. Join the club, would. buddy. But on his 11 punts in one period, he have, he averaged 48 and a half gross yards. Wow. His average hang time was 4.35. And that average was brought down by the two miss hits. Yeah, right. So seven of the other nine punts had a hang time of, of at least 4.5. Wow. And he frequently followed... Any th- any punt that was a little bit off with an absolute blast, and yeah. the other thing, it's a visceral, emotional reaction, but it's the sound of the ball when he strikes it. Everyone took notice. Yep, it's a cannon going off, and it's amazing that a smaller guy, he's what like five, five, eight, el- five oh, ten, really? five, yeah, okay, yeah. We're yeah, used to seeing right. bigger punters, especially these guys coming over from Australia. And he generates a lot of power in a relatively a small package. Well, and that allows him to kind of snap the ball off a little quicker. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about this um, a lot, uh, how that kind of gives him an advantage because he's got those shorter limbs. So the ball's shooting off. It has a different sound. And then he's putting so much spin on it. In fact, it could... Gave Cordray Davis, the Texas A&M receiver, some trouble. He he muffed a, he dropped a punt, and the other team recovered it. So, yeah, he was already causing problems in, in practice alone. Yeah, so good stuff. I'm actually looking up uh, Braden Man's exact well, I was number. Doing the because same. I've, I've I think got I'm going to beat you to I've it. Got the spe- I've got the spreadsheet here, the heights and weights that we had from yesterday here. Oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm only seeing two. Aha. 5'11". Yeah, when walking around, you know, we're just interviewing people left and right frenetically. I'm walking around and I see you out of the corner of my eye talking to some normal-sized dude. And I was like, wait, is Mace interviewing a, another member of the media? And then it was like, oh, right, the A&M punter. So, yeah. Speaking of measurements, Josh Jones, quite disappointing with 32 and one-eighth inch arms. He actually... That's not left tackle length. And I watched him out there and I saw kind of the lack of length and uh, mm-hmm. it was an up and down day for him. I wonder if Josh Jones may not project as a guard. Oh, with those arms you have. Yes. To. I, I've never seen a guy under 33 inches get, get slotted at tackle. I mean, you, you compare him to now there's some guys with some long arms. I think you've got um, Matt Peart from UConn. He's north of uh, 35 plus 35 yeah. plus mm-hmm. Alex Taylor from uh, South Carolina state. And I think He's the project, the, the day three tackle project that I, yeah. I like the most because he's he's raw, but he's smart. Mm-hmm. He's coachable. And his wingspan is 88 <laughs> inches, which is just freakish. 
Yeah. 36 inch arms. And he's six foot eight. Ridiculous. No surprise. He did play basketball quite a bit. He actually Mm -hmm. was playing basketball at App State before he transferred uh, down to South Carolina State to finish off his uh, college career. But that size that he has, when he gets set, when he's when he's dropping into his pass protection set, you could see the edge rushers sometimes kind of hesitating a bit as if they were trying to figure out, okay, this guy takes up so much space, both in terms of height, but also laterally when he gets kind of spread out and set. Yeah. I don't know if I can go around him, and I don't know if I can go on his inside shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it allowed him to win the rep. Yeah. He's six eight and a half, I believe, uh, 310 pounds. He can definitely add some weight to his frame. That's oh, something yeah. he, he knows. But uh, it actually surprised me that he was 310. I thought he'd check in a little bit lighter than that from talking to him. So yeah, I think that was a positive sign uh, for him. Carries his weight very well. Had some good reps, especially mm-hmm. as practice went on, working at right tackle. And I bring him up for the Broncos for two reasons. Number one, he identified Alejandro Villanueva of the Steelers as one of the players that he feels like he would like to mimic. And Villanueva is another athletic, rangy tackle. The other thing that's crucial, of course, is Villanueva was developed by Mike Munchak in Pittsburgh. Maybe one of Munchak's greatest jobs as a head coach, or as a coach, rather, sorry. And I could see the Broncos looking at Mm -hmm. Taylor as Mm -hmm. a guy they could pick, say, in round five and put him on the long-term development plan. When I say long-term, I mean he's not going to play as a rookie. Nope. But someone who has a ton of upside and could be your plan for 2021 at right tackle. Yeah. Jawan James is going to be the starter in 2020. Has to be. There's no suspense to that. That that contract dictates Mm -hmm. he's back, and you are hoping that the every other year injury trend for Jawan James continues, that he's on IR one year, he's healthy the next year. That Mm -hmm. pattern would say if it continues that he plays 14 or 15 games in the 2020 season. But I think you're already starting to look at 2021 and getting out of that contract no matter what happens in 2020. So that means a developmental tackle. Yes. I think... With Garrett Bowles on the left side and Juwan James on the right side, at the tackle position, although there are some intriguing prospects here, unless they can play guard as a rookie, you're not looking at a tackle, I think, in the first two rounds. You're talking about round three and beyond. The guys that you stick in the incubator for a year, get them out there, get them practicing, Mm -hmm. and then you are prepared to put them in in... 2021 if they develop properly taylor looks like a great plan yeah taylor looks like he could be a perfect fit for that absolutely absolutely and he would not slot in at guard too late too long yes it's not gonna work yeah both alex taylor and matt peart although peart's probably gonna go uh, round two when Mm -hmm. all said and done Mm -hmm. maybe into round three uh peart's a guy who could be more ready to play as a rookie than alex taylor taylor is is raw but right you like the athleticism. You can't coach that length. Uh, you can see that the basketball background helps him 
with his footwork. Yeah. Even though he's long, he's agile, he's not uncoordinated, he's able to move very well. Right. And uh, one thing, and, and it showed up when they went to team period, and they, especially when they were doing some runs in team period, and his ability to kind of get out in front and uh, and make a block and sprint and spring the runner. He did that a couple of times in practice. So. I was I was encouraged by him. I, I was fascinated to see what he did coming out, and uh, it wasn't too big for him out here. Right, right. Any good signs for a guy who's thrown to the fire like that day one are are encouraging. So, before we move on to your comments, and uh, we're going to get to as many of them as we can, but we'll probably not get to all of them because our schedule today it involves getting this podcast done in a specific window so we can get to practice yes but before we get to the comments I want to talk to you about breckenridge brewery time to take a second and acknowledge breckenridge brewery the official beer of the dnvr.com breckenridge is the original colorado beer established in 1990 in breckenridge colorado you've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter their oatmeal stout and most people's personal favorite the world famous avalanche which is their classic american amber ale but this past fall, Breck released a new beer, Strawberry Sky. And if you haven't had oh, it, you're missing what out. are you doing? You're missing yeah. out. You're going to love it if you try it. For you beer enthusiasts out there, it's a lighthearted Kolsch ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, it is a light, delicious beer that you've been looking for. Maybe it's a warmer-than-expected day in Colorado. Maybe you're checking in from somewhere down in Florida, Texas, California, Arizona, where the sun warms the sky. It's a perfect mm-hmm. beer for those nice, pleasant days that you're outside. So look for yeah. Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. Make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on the DNVR.com. You'll be able to see all the events we have planned, and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. And let's touch on the event that we had over at Blake Street Tavern, downtown oh, Denver yesterday, amazing. to uh, hope for. And then those hopes were realized. Larry Walker going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Outstanding. Outstanding. Congrats, Larry. Congrats to Rockies. The entire Rockies organization for the first ever Hall of Famer. Well yeah. deserved. Wouldn't have it any other way. It, seemed, uh, it just felt right. Mm-hmm. just seems right. And... Uh, you know, it was a heck of a crowd in the middle of the afternoon on a Tuesday. How does baseball get this wrong, by the way? I mean, the Pro Football <laughs> Hall of Fame does its Hall of Fame announcements in Saturday in prime time. Although, they, of course, they did the Centennial class at 7 in the morning Eastern time on a, a Wednesday, which I right. didn't think made as much sense. But they do the big prime time thing in Major League Baseball for its Hall of Fame. <laughs> Five o'clock Eastern, in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, yeah. In, in in other time zones like uh, the Central and Mountain and Pacific, it just didn't make sense. It's like they're apolog. They're they're almost sorry you have to watch this. Oh my know? gosh, I, it's terrible. I I wish they would realize they're in an in in, in the entertainment industry and would act accordingly. But. Well, I'm just glad that they that Larry Walker's in and those Breck brews that were downed. At Blake Street Tavern, <laughs> were celebratory yes. rather than crying in one's beer. And also, got to talk to you about the Colorado Raptors because we are now covering the Raptors mm-hmm. at the DNVR.com. Reporter Colton Strickler is taking you inside the locker room with the DNVR Raptors podcast. 
and you can find his written Raptors content right on our site with the rest of our coverage. Of course, you can also join this amazing team community on the DNVR Raptors Twitter account to get a daily look at what Colorado rugby is all about. These guys have an opportunity to be really great this year, and we're excited to take you on the journey. If you didn't know, the Raptors played in Fanny Park in Glendale, just mm-hmm. east of Cherry Creek. And beyond checking out our coverage, you should go down there and watch a game. Yeah. It's an awesome venue full of amazing fans, mm-hmm. and the price is unbeatable. Kids are getting in for 5 bucks right now when you buy tickets at coloradoraptors.com. Search for the DNVR Raptors podcast after our show, because we want you to listen to us first yeah, yeah. and give <laughs> Colorado Rugby a shot. We'll be back after these words from Blake Street Tavern. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, They've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap. You name it, they've got it, and the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Welcome back to the DNVR Broncos podcast. It's, of course, brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee today. Dre, let's dive into the comments. There are plenty of Senior Bowl comments. There are also some that uh, are a little off the chain. We're going to get to as many as we can here in about the next 30 minutes. Let's start with Wesley. You two have really nice chemistry, Dre and Mace. I love this last podcast. Well, thank Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Certainly a different feel from the typical, but it was fresh. I don't have any football questions, but being a huge Star Wars nerd and it being the offseason, I was wondering how much either of you have watched, read, or played of Star Wars. Just a couple of trivia pieces, too. Is Boba Fett a Mandalorian or not? What unusual items did Grand Admiral Thrawn study in order to gain knowledge of his opponents? A. Answer. No, being Mandalorian is culture, and Boba was only raised as a bounty hunter. Mm. Thrawn studied cultural art to understand how his opponents' minds worked. Okay, I admit I'm not as familiar with a lot of the books. I do read the novelizations yeah. of the films themselves. Oh. I've seen all the movies. I've, yep. I've seen all the shows, although... It's been a busy month for me. I've, I'm still sitting on the last two episodes of season one of The Mandalorian that are on my iPad. Maybe I will finally watch them on the way back from Mobile on Thursday night. Yeah, you've got some catching up to do. I've seen them all. I need We need to get a babysitter and go to the movies so we can see the newest one. Uh, but yeah, we've we've got Disney Plus, so we've kind of been rewatching a lot of them. We've been watching the show, so I am I am also behind on the last few episodes of The Mandalorian. All right, P- appreciate you hearing uh, you checking in with us, Wesley. Thank you. The Big Tabowski. Hey, Mace. Lloyd Cushenberry III is getting his degree when Tyler Biotish is not. Just saying. <laughs> Just messing you with you, my buccaneer-loving buddy. And yes, I've been drinking, again, the big tea. Well, that's the reason why he's able to be here, because he's a graduate. And of course, that right. one thing that changed about the Senior Bowl in recent years is yep. that uh, guys who were early entry candidates, if they have graduated, 
they can take part in the Senior Bowl even though they had not exhausted their eligibility. And, and that rule change is why Lloyd Cushenberry is able to be down here. Right. Good to point that out because people might be confused. Like, why is he at the Senior Bowl? But he was also being told not to declare for the draft. That's right. exactly why. Steve Atwater, HOF. Interesting fact, the Broncos now have the 2017 and 2018 Assistant Coaches of the Year on their staff. Why do you mm-hmm. think the public perception of Shermer has changed so much the past two years besides not winning enough games with an atrocious New York Giants team? He obviously knows X's and O's, and the more I research Pat Shermer, the more I think Elway and Fangio made the right choice. Well, I don't think his star has fallen as a coordinator and play caller. Right. I mean, he had plenty of suitors. That's why the Broncos, I think, had to kind of move, move quickly on him um, and kind of beat out the competition. That doesn't, you know, his stock is still very high as a play caller and offensive coordinator. It's as a head coach that he's just, you know, maybe it's just Tom Moore, right? A great OC, but not a head coach. And there's nothing wrong with that. And actually Absolutely. what is interesting is because now he's gone 9-23 and in his two stops yeah. as a coach, I guess you could say that September 23rd is... Pat Shermer day. <laughs> yeah. That's what they'll say in New York and Cleveland, I'm sure. But because of that, even if the Broncos offense is dazzling in 2020, and I don't think it's going to be dazzling. I think it's going to take some incremental steps, and you're hoping it is average yeah. in 2020. But even if it, if it completely outplayed that and was a top-five offense somehow, not something I see happening, but if it was – Pat Shermer would not be getting head coaching looks. No. I think no, that no, point no. of his career has passed. So it's, if this offense flourishes, you might be able to settle, settle in and prepare for a long run of Pat Shermer as offensive coordinator if he can get this unit going. Yep. Yeah, that's very intriguing. Am I right or Amarillo? Mace throwing some George Jones references in there to quote Step Brothers. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Well, maybe we could take the grand tour sometime. <laughs> yeah. Also from the Emma Ryder, Emma Ryder Amarillo, for the DNVR fam, there used to be a well-trafficked Broncos form known as Broncos Freak that had a pretty awesome community. Last I checked, it appears to have stayed afloat as a Broncos news site till around 2017. I spent many hours talking Broncos and everything else with a ton of amazing fans there for many years and really enjoyed the meetup I made it to in 2009 versus the Browns. My handle was NJ10 on that site. Just curious if any of that old crew has made it over here, comment and let me know. So if you see this in the comments, uh, give Am I Right or Amarillo a a shout out. Let them know if you were on BroncosFreak.com back in the day. Yeah. It's interesting how these comment sections of sites like the NVR.com mile high report have effectively replaced uh, the message boards for a lot of people. There are still a couple of message boards that are hanging on, but they don't get the traffic that they used to. Yeah. It seems like maybe in college football, the message board is one of the few places where that's still kind of surviving. And even there might be dying off. That's, that's a good point. I didn't think about that, but yeah, that it seems like it, uh, I hadn't thought of that until, you know, we started covering CSU and then Justin would talk to me about, oh, the the forum and this and that. And it was like, wow, that's a real blast from the past right there. All right. <laughs> Kentucky UDFA. Love hearing about the potential risers in this upcoming draft. Great insights, guys. 
As always, I'm wanting to hear about a UK player too, Logan Stenberg, guardless at 6'6", 320. A part of the Wildcats' big blue wall as a starter here for the last three seasons and an absolute mauler. He can be a force in the Broncos' running game and from what I've heard, expected to go anywhere from the third to fifth rounds. Just wanted y'all to keep an eye on him and get your thoughts on if he's a potential fit or, of need, or position of need for the Broncos. Keep up the good work. Next year, we can draft Drake Jackson as our center and start to form our own big blue wall <laughs> in Denver. I actually, there's a note I had on Stenberg, and it was early in practice in the first uh, one-on-one period. Uh, struggled a bit with hand placement. He mm-hmm. was, you saw him putting his hands on the shoulders. Yeah. And after a rep, there was a, a stern talking to that he had from mm-hmm. uh, one of the coaches about that. And kind of told him, you got to get your hands inside. Yeah. Did a much better job of that over the course of the practice. I want to kind of take a more detailed look at the uh, team period reps to see if he continued putting that teaching into practice. But I was encouraged with how his reps after that first rep looked dramatically different and that he didn't repeat the mistake that he made early in practice. Definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Not too impressed with the guards on the first day. Yeah. And also, Kentucky UEDFA says, by the way, Mace, Max Duffy, mm, the punter, doesn't yes. believe he'll make it as a punter in the NFL. He feels his style doesn't translate to the NFL game, not enough hang time. You can't roll out punt in the NFL, which is what he does. While he can punt with either foot on the run and gets a perfect roll every single time, it doesn't look like he's in the cards for us next year. I would say this. I think Max Duffy is selling himself a little bit short. I think there's going to be a special teams coach who looks at the natural talent that he has in his legs and says, I can make something out of that. And punter is a position where even if you're in your mid to late 20s, when you break into the league, you can still have a decade-long career ahead of you. I think somebody will take a shot on Max Duffy. I think, I, I think Duffy just... he. Maybe he's trying to kind of steal himself for some disappointment when he, when he says that. Yeah. But I think somebody's going to take a look at him and give him a shot. Yeah. Don't sell yourself short. You don't know. Don't sell yourself short, Joe. You're a tremendous slouch. Yeah. You know that movie, right? <laughs> no. No. Uh, Caddyshack. That's a great quote. Oh, well, yeah. I've, it's been a while since I saw Caddyshack. Oh, no slouch. Don't sell yourself short, Joe. You're a tremendous slouch. Mm. Thank Big Tabowski, another vegan here of nearly 10 years now. Best thing I've ever done and wish I'd done it sooner. Haven't mentioned it until now, though, as that's usually the first damn thing a lot of us do when we enter a room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. But, you know, veganism can can be kind of flexible. If it's not ethical veganism, then sometimes you can kind of give in and have a little something every now and then. Uh, You like the, the wink wink veganism where you have a cheat once in a while, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I, you know what? I don't think I could do veganism. I think I could be a, be- a pescatarian. I could do I could seafood see that. only. I could see that. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah. Giving up oysters, shrimp, sushi, yeah, fish. I love fishing chips. If I'm just going for like an old school type of meal, um, yeah, geez, you could do a lot worse than than that. What you just described, yeah, not so, bad. Anyway. Count Locular, good friend, the Count. Mm-hmm. Is this the year Elway takes someone from the Tide? Best meal in Mobile so far for both of you. Love the Count. Well, is this the year the Alabama jinx ends? If Judy drops, yeah, could be. <laughs> <laughs> if Henry Ruggs is around, yep, could be. Jedrick Wills will be in consideration. Um, after that, don't see a ton of great fits because also Saban's done a great job of recruiting his team and bringing a lot of those guys back. I'm going to say it ends. 
I'm you do. I'm going to say both the Alabama jinx ends and the Clemson jinx ends. Oh. Just let's have the Band-Aid. Rip it right off. One pull. Right off. Done. All right. And the best meal in Mobile so far. Ooh. Oh. Um, that meal that we had last night. Yeah. Easily. Over at uh, Winslow's Oyster House. Oh, outstanding. You went for the grilled oysters, right? Mm-hmm. And I went for the sampler, which is four kinds of kind of prepared oysters so it's like oysters rockefeller there were some oysters with bacon and jalapeno yeah on uh, there was one with kind of a a, a a little bit of a garlic cream sauce that had little uh, tiny shrimp in it oh my gracious our there were four of us at dinner it was andre myself ryan edwards and brandon cristal of koa yeah. and our table was packed with oysters sure was end to end i think uh I think BK got a picture of like of, he was waiting to get a picture of the table filled with these oyster platters. It was outstanding. Yes. Easily our best meal. That's what we come to Mobile, Alabama for. <laughs> hey, hey. River Vapecraft. Is there a Taysom Hill type <laughs> player in the draft that you guys would take a chance on? Mm. I know it doesn't seem like the Broncos style, but it's fun to dream. Sure is. We've talked about a few guys you and I off air. Hertz himself could be one of those guys. Um Though, I don't know. I think he's more than just a gadget player. We'll see. Depending on how he does this week, that'll be that'll determine a lot. Um, I know you have a great guy from one of the, from the shrine. service academies. Yes, yeah. Malcolm Perry was at the Shrine game last week, and he was working at wide receiver throughout the week, and that's going to mm-hmm. be his primary position. I was impressed mm-hmm. with how his route running improved over the course of the week down there in St. Petersburg, but... He's okay. He's not a great passer, but he's accurate enough to where it's a legitimate threat for him to throw the ball when he gets it in the backfield. And the key to being the Taysom Hill type of player is that there has to be a viable passing threat. Yes. That the opponent takes seriously, which keeps them off balance. Leader for the Naval Academy, of course, Mm -hmm. you can. Put him into your lineup right away now because the rules regarding a service academy graduates and their eligibility to play pro sports, it was changed back to what it had been back coming out of like 2014, 2015. Then a couple of years ago, the rules were changed, which threw some guys for a loop. Remember uh, Jalen Robinette uh, out of Air Force uh, was yeah, one guy right. we were talking about, right. and then they changed the rules kind of uh, at the last minute there. And now they've changed them back to what they were uh, back uh, four or five years ago as far as guys being able to go play pro sports immediately and then do their service to their country after their playing career is done. So Malcolm Perry, I'd love for the Broncos to take a day day three flyer on him and, and design some packages around him. I think he could be a perfect fit. I don't know that you even have to draft a guy. There might be guys like Braxton Miller who could play a similar role still available if you if you really want to tie in someone who can be that jack-of-all-trades. But I could see Perry, based on the progress I saw from day one to day three of him down at the Shrine, I could see him also becoming a legitimate starting wide receiver. I'll be intrigued to see what the Ravens do with Trace McSorley because I think Mm -hmm. he was kind of drafted to have a role that a hybrid role like that. That'll and, be similar. And fascinating that you've already got, of course, uh, uh, RG3 and Lamar, Lamar Jackson, Jackson as mm-hmm. dual threats 
Oh, there's some. There Haven't they some drafted Keenan Reynolds a couple of years ago? They the did from out of Navy. Spectacular Navy quarterback, mm-hmm. another dual threat guy. So they've had their eyes on this type of project for a while. So Oklahoma Bronco 58. Mason, you were at the Shrine Bowl last week. What were your thoughts on Parnell Motley, cornerback uh-huh. from Oklahoma? Had uh-huh. a bounce back year under Alex Grinch this past year and really started to get his confidence back. He played well against Jamar Chase in the Peach Bowl, even though nobody else in the secondary did that day. I know he's not a guy that will go high in the draft, but he might be worth a look in the late rounds. Didn't really study Motley all that much, so mm-hmm. Dre, what are your thoughts on him based on the uh, Yeah, lighter guy. Uh, has had some some bad games, has had some bounce-back games. Was talking to Denzel Mims, the star-wide receiver for Baylor. Um, he, uh, he prides himself on his blocking and was talking a lot, and we were asking, was there a block that really stood out in your career? And he was talking about flattening Motley when they played Oklahoma in 2018, so... There's a little motley story for you. Not a top guy for me, but a guy you'd consider late in day three uh, as a potential camp guy. I I much prefer a guy like Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh, who's similar frame. Mark IT Snatch. Hey, guys. Mace, after reading your article on Gratis Chart, I had a question that may pull on your heartstrings a bit. This is a one or the other. If only one player had to go to the Hall of Fame, who would you pick after defending each player's case? Randy Gratis or Mike Allstott. Oh, oh man, that's a toughie, huh? Well, it's Mike Allstott has not gotten any traction for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's a shame. Three-time first-team All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler. Well, and a legend for an entire has, generation. Yeah, Randy Gratishar has fewer first-team All-Pros as selected by AP, but more Pro Bowls. Yeah. And I mean, also, Gratishar played 10 seasons. Allstott played 12. Gratishar's I mean, probably got the better case. Yeah, Gratishar's the answer. So, yes, Gratishar's the answer. Also, you know, those all pros are a little skewed because he was in an era of phenomenal players at his position. And how many teams had viable all pro caliber fullbacks back in Mike Allstott's day? Yeah, exactly. Not many. <laughs> right. There's one reason why he kept going right. to the Pro Bowl all the time, even though. His rushing totals weren't uh, matching that of running backs, but he was one of the few fullbacks who actually ran the ball. Right. So for a while right. there, Mike Allstott was a default choice. Yeah. Yep. Oh, we know Allstott, and we hear Chris Berman on NFL primetime going, Oh, he was great to watch, though. One of my favorite players. He was fun. I had an Allstott jersey when I was in college. How could you not? That's what I wore to games on Sundays. A red Mike Allstott Bucks jersey. Well, that's outstanding. I asked earlier, but I think this question got buried. Since Connor McGovern was moved over to center, the dialogue around him was his inability to get the snap high enough in the shotgun. Mm-hmm. However, that conversation all but disappeared this yes. season. Do you guys think he's done enough to continue as a starting center, or do you guys see someone to target in the draft or free agency? I like the idea of Connor McGovern being back at the right price. Yep. I would not be opposed to moving him back to guard, especially if you got a Tyler Biotish or Lloyd Cushenberry at center. I think they're more natural centers, and McGovern could go mm-hmm. to guard. That said, this could change between now and March. I don't see a lot of momentum toward keeping Connor McGovern coming from the Broncos right now. It could yeah. change, but I don't get the sense that he is as high on the priority list as maybe he would be. he would be on my priority list. Yep, at the right price is the key, though. Mark makes a great point. He was very good with snapping the ball. There were no problems with that this year, despite three different starting quarterbacks. Okay. 
Vilka Dan, love you two as a team. I've been wondering about how scouting departments work, and hopefully you are the guys to ask. Mm. Is the scouting department run by the front office? Does the head coach have much, if any, control over scouting? When a new head coach like Vic is signing, knows people in, in scouting on his old team whose opinions he trusts, would he have the ability to bring them with him, or do they only work for their team and don't move around? Thanks, guys. Really appreciate all the efforts you two put into traveling to these events so the rest of us feel like we have boots on the ground. Well, Ultimately, the scouts report to the general manager. Mm -hmm. And then if there's someone in charge of football operations over the GM, they report up that tree. Traditionally, the scouts, they're kind of separate from the coaches. Mm -hmm. But the relationship you want to have with the coaching staff is to know what types of players you're looking for schematically. And so... You want the synergy in terms of mm-hmm. the coaches saying, okay, I need an offensive lineman who's more versed in zone concepts. Right. right. So go ahead and find that person. That's why a lot of changes in coaching staff and a lot of changes in philosophy can sort of throw teams for a loop mm-hmm. because all of a sudden maybe you've been doing a lot of work on offensive lineman to fit zone, but you're going to do more power. Right. So you have to change it up a little bit. And that's why you have the regional scouts. They fan out over the country and they're looking at all the guys, even though in the moment they may not be a schematic fit. They're looking at every player and thus they can be prepared to adapt if there's a change on the coaching staff. Yeah. You got to cast a wide net. Mm -hmm. It's key. Now, as for whether there'd be players coming or coaches or scouts coming from Vic Fangio's old team. Uh, it's unless that coach is in mm-hmm. charge of personnel as well has right. final say you don't see a lot of movement from uh, one team to another when a new coach gets hired as far as the scouts go. I mean, you've got scouts in the Broncos personnel department that have been there through multiple coaching staffs, Right. And some of them have been there for decades. Scotty DeStefano, who's one of their Midwest scouts based out of Chicago, has been with the organization since the mid-1980s. Wow. So yeah. in terms of coaches he's worked with, he goes all the way back to the salad days of Dan Reeves. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I believe uh, I believe he's right behind Greek, Steve Antonopoulos, the trainer, as is the, the longest, longest tenured employee in the Bronco organization. Wow, pretty impressive. Because Jim Sakamano is not full-time, and Joe Ellis was there in the early 80s, but he left uh-huh. to go work for the NFL for about, I believe, about 13 years or so before coming back to the Broncos in the late 1990s. Quite the distinction. Welsh Bronco 170. Hey, guys, amazing c- content. I have two comments. Number one, crying at a sporting moment. Being from Wales, a country with a 3 million population, sporting focus has always been on rugby. Mm-hmm. In 2016, the soccer team qualified for their first yes. major tournament since yes. 1958. I was lucky enough to go to the quarterfinals where wow. we beat the tournament favorites 3-1. I sobbed in utter disbelief in the way the national anthem was mind-blowing. Oh, yes, the Euro 2016, Wales and Iceland were the two right. stories. Right. And uh, right. England was left embarrassed in that <laughs> tournament. That was not pleasant, but it's gone a little bit better for yeah. England since then. But Wales, Wales was kind of everybody's second favorite team at yeah. that tournament. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, what a great story. Garrett Bales, Aaron Ramsey, what a great generation of Welsh soccer. This it was is. good to see them get their spot in the, in the, get their turn in the spotlight because so often 
you have standouts for Wales or, you know, for example, uh, Northern Ireland. George Best never had yeah, that right. moment right. in the, on the World Cup stage yeah. or the, the big stage in, in the Euros uh, back in the day because Northern, Northern Ireland was just down, and mm-hmm. it, it's tough. They eventually did make a, a couple of World Cups in right. the early 1980s, uh, but uh, he, he was done by then. Yeah. It also brings me to say that uh, I, I still can't believe that Scotland can't get it together. Hasn't made a World <sighs> Cup yes. final since 1998, I believe. That sounds right. I do remember them in 98. That's uh, one of my more they vivid They played Brazil memories. right out of the gate. Yeah, right, um, right. They'll open up. And the other thing about Scotland, you know, in the, there's a grand tradition in, in the United Kingdom for the nations there of songs for teams when they go to the World Cup finals. And the Scotland song in 1988 was oh, sung God. by Scottish group Delamitri. And it, it wasn't about like being bold and winning the World Cup. They'd done that. Uh, they, they had that, and it bombed out. The song <laughs> that year was called Don't Come Home Too Soon. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, we know you suck. Just don't suck too bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Prolong the trip, This please. would be like the Broncos saying, hey, man, our goal is to be the number six seed. <laughs> right. Get that wild card. <laughs> right. The thing with Scotland is that every time they've been to the World Cup finals, they've never advanced beyond group play. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's actually tough, a man. documentary floating around on YouTube that BBC Scotland did last year or a couple of years ago about the 1978 Scotland team that went down to the World Cup in Argentina, had great expectations, and failed spectacularly. And if you're a soccer fan, I actually recommend it as a documentary that's worth watching. Oh, it's I'll a have lot to of check it out. I haven't it's, seen that. It's called Scotland 78, A Love Story. Oh, beautiful. All right. This one from Knees. Oh, there was a second question from Welsh Broncos, oh, which right. I wanted to get into. Okay, go ahead. Vic's comments about corner, and if you can cover, you can cover. Does this mean that the Broncos may not spend big at the position as Vic may think it as a necessary Thanks for all you do to help uh, get me through the cardio and work session daily. Welsh Bronco. What do you think about that? I, I've always said his scheme does not... Again, it goes back to the press man. You don't need to spend top dollar or top picks on what Vic looks for in an, in an outside corner because that zone, you don't need those elite traits. I think you can get pretty good and it will do fine. Yeah. So maybe... Something we talk about with Broncos free agency over the years, when it's worked out, sometimes it's been the second, third, or fourth best guy on the market. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a guy that I could see them taking a look at is Kendall Fuller. Yep. From Kansas City, of course, the brother of Kyle Fuller. Yeah. Yep. Who Vic coached in Chicago. Right. So there's a connection there, certainly. Uh, Vic Fangio, I'm sure, also scouted Kendall Fuller coming out of Virginia Tech, so I'm sure he's well aware of what kind of player right. he is. Right. And that also has the added bonus of weakening a division rival that will probably not be able to afford to keep Kendall Fuller, but I think you can probably get him for less on a per-year basis than, say, Byron Jones. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, for sure. So it'll he'll be expensive, but not the biggest money. I do think they will invest either a high draft pick or one of their premium free agency slots in the cornerback position. High draft pick meaning top three days? Yeah, or top yeah. two days. Top, oh, top two, right, right. Maybe right. One top of their three first, rounds is yeah, what I mean. Or meant. maybe one of their first three, because actually 
Uh, that pick they got back from San Francisco in round three. I know. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, <laughs> that's going to be pretty bummer, close to bummer. the comp picks in round three now that uh, they've advanced all the way to the conference championship games. On to knees, duts. Okay, we'll mm-hmm. let that slide because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's up, gents? Quick question. Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs are all on the board. Who do you choose? Well, Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy. Sorry, no yeah. question. Yep. Best all-around guy of the three. P.S. Do you think there will ever be a draft when every team has a serviceable enough quarterback to where there would be no quarterbacks taken in round one? Well, we've seen that before. Uh, okay. One of the first drafts I analyzed was that um, insane draft. I'm trying to think what year that was where Eric Fisher went first. That was 2013. Um, but I guess E.J. Manuel did go in round one there it, and surprised everyone. So and the thing, there, yeah, and the thing about that, um, that was a really weak class. It was a bad class, and I mean, terrible. E.J. Manuel, he doesn't go in the first round of any other draft. Oh yeah, but. That one he does, and uh, I believe that is the only draft of the 21st century that had just one first-round quarterback, right? Sounds about right. Can't be too many of those. Oh, my bad. Uh, 01, Michael Vick. And 2000, Chad Pennington. Oh, and now I'm thinking of the draft post-Elway Marino. Where I think maybe Boomer Sison did he go he second rounder? Boomer right? Sison was second round pick. I'm not sure there was a first rounder in that, but again, I have to go back to the early '80s. Um, it would be a conversation with Lamb and Judy, but I think with what the Broncos and Pat Shermer's offense are looking for, back to the wide receiver conversation, Judy's just more of a logical pick over Lamb. All right. Well, I'm just gonna cue this up here on Pro Football Reference. Do a little research here, and. Uh, yeah, what let's you got? Go th- All right. So let's see. 2019, three quarterbacks. 2018, you had five quarterbacks. So let's go on through here. So 2013, of course, has the one quarterback. So does 2001. So does 2000. 99, no, because that was the year quarterbacks went 1, 2, 3, and then 11 and 12. 98, no. Ni- 1996. No quarterbacks taken in the first round. And that came on the heels of six consecutive years in which exactly two quarterbacks were taken in round one. And then no first-round quarterbacks also in 1988. Okay. And 1985 and 1984. Now, some of that, don't forget, in 1984... If the natural processes of a usual year had been in place, Steve Young would have gone uh, yes. potentially number one overall. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, well, maybe not. No, maybe not. Actually, that that would have been an interesting draft because in 1984, the number one overall pick at first belonged to the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. Because the Buccaneers had idiotically traded to the Bengals for Jack the throwing Samoan Thompson. Oh boy. So there's a if there was no USFL, yeah, instead of right. taking Boomer Esiason in round two, the Bengals might have taken Steve Young at the top of round one. 
<sighs> how things How's would that differ. for an alternate history right there? How things would differ. Oh, But, you goodness. know, and those cases are a lot more about weak quarterback classes than so many teams being set at quarterback that none get drafted. Right. Right. We're going to get a couple more here, and then we're going to have to cut this off. And what we will do is we're going to take the questions we don't get to in these podcasts, put them aside, and we'll probably get to them uh, at the end of the week when we have a little more time to dive into the questions here. So yep. uh, on to this one from Samuel Bisu. Hey, guys, how well do slot receivers do in their first couple of years? I would think they need experience to get the feel for defenses and find the soft spot in coverages. Does it make more sense for the Broncos to get a wide receiver two in the draft and a veteran slot in free agency? Not a terrible plan. I did feel, boy, the market seemed to be a little offset last year when the Bills overpaid for uh, both Beasley and John Brown. Mm-hmm. Beasley, of course, more of the slot. So, but you worry giving giving Locke a nice security blanket in the slot in a veteran free agent would not be the worst plan of action. And and for Josh Allen, I thought those acquisitions were perfect. Yep, they helped him along. So. You'd last like more year, size. I, yeah, last year, I, I, I like the idea of getting Cole Beasley or Adam Humphreys in free agency. Of course, Humphreys, you saw him making some big catches in the playoffs for the Tennessee Titans, even though Ryan Tannehill wasn't throwing the ball much. You look back at the Chiefs game on Sunday, and when they needed to get three mm-hmm. yards on third down or fourth down, the first guy Tannehill looked to was Adam Humphreys. As far as rookies being able to perform at a high level early on in the slot. I think of guys like Hunter Renfro last year, even Randall Cobb when he started his career in Green Bay. So there are cases of guys who drafted later on can have pretty immediate success. And you can find those guys on day three because they're oh, yeah. undersized, not not fast enough. They're route runners. Right. Uh, they don't they don't test well at the combine. Right. Hunter Renfro is going to be a problem for the Broncos for a long time, I hate to say it. I, I when the Raiders drafted him, I groaned. Yeah, because I, I liked him as a day three guy. I look forward to, back to Samuel Bissu. I look forward every year to your coverage of the Senior Bowl. The last two years, the guys really nailed the info they got from their contacts. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yep. Just read Mace's article on Javon Kinloff. The 49ers beat the Chiefs with, Chiefs with four-man pressure. It would make a lot of sense to draft a dominant defensive tackle. I think our line would be better than the Niners with him. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Appreciate it, Samuel. Jeez, I... I must have dreamt it or said this to someone uh, this week, but I was saying kind of the same thing, how if the 49ers kind of succeed and write a script with this is how you stop Patrick Mahomes, I do think that could raise uh, Kinlaw's viability to go to Denver. Now the problem is uh, those pesky Buccaneers at 14. And who knows if the Chargers get another answer at quarterback. Yeah. And maybe they're cool on Justin Herbert. What if they look at that and say, hey, let's – Right. Let's bring in Javon Kinlaw ourselves and diffuse the Chiefs. Yeah, and they may have a shot at Derek and Brown. the Raiders could say the same thing yeah. sitting there at picking 11. a few at 11. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot's in play there. Yeah. Last one we're going to get to here. Onion booty, <laughs> as Steve Atwater would say of Jake Butt, Bronco. Dear sirs, please see the below proposal for a revised Pro Bowl. Hear ye, hear ye. I declare the <laughs> traditional Pro Bowl a sorry excuse for an athletic competition evolve into a flag football tournament and to the winning team go pay bonuses and donations to the player's charity of choice. This alternative will reinstate competition as well as viewer participation. That is all onion booty. Here's the problem with that. Yeah. What are the offensive linemen doing? Yeah. Yeah. Are you just doing a pro bowl without linemen? Yep. Are you sending the pro, the offensive linemen out and you're saying, okay, quarterback drops back. Everybody else runs route. So it's don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Football like as a sport just does not lend itself to a good all-star game because of the no, collision exactly. nature of it. Right. I mean, you see the NHL all-star game because it's a high-contact, occasional collision sport. It's a farce. Yeah. You see, you know, you look up at the NHL all-star game, you see a score like 11 to 9 or something like right. that. And they've done all sorts of weird stuff mm-hmm. with the formatting of it. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I mean, no all-star games really work. Like, I barely tune into any of them anymore. The only frankly. one I like, the only ones I like, are, are baseball because, again, it's the individual nature yes, of the sport. Baseball's great. Ba- the baseball like all-star game mm-hmm. is the one that most closely resembles the actual gameplay. Yeah, and I like the MLS format I was where just you have say. Mm-hmm. an all-star team from Major League Soccer taking on, say, Chelsea or right. yep. you know, or Roma or. Right, we've Man seen all United, sorts of different, all yeah. sorts of elite uh, uh, clubs from from Europe yep. uh, coming over to play. And the thing for them is, for those clubs, it's an exhibition game. It's right. a friendly, as they call it in soccer, at warming up for their seasons. But uh, there have been some entertaining games out of that format. Yes, totally. So appreciate all the comments. Sorry mm-hmm. that we can't get to all of them, but unfortunately, if we do get to all of them, uh, that means, well. We're not going to make it out to practice, and we got a little bit of a post-production work here to do before we get this thing up. So by the time this publishes, Senior Bowl practice will be underway. Thanks for riding with us. Thanks for keeping us company on the DNVR Broncos podcast today. But before we go, I want to talk to you about the Denver Rubber Company. You guys know how supporting local business is in our blood. We're super excited to tell you about Denver Rubber Company and It may not be what you think it is. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber to custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming. We've already had a taste of it. You'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snow plows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snow plow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back and it was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades and we even witnessed machines that cut material that are used in bulletproof vests. Remember, Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all. And you can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They're family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like us here at DMVR. Be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash DNVR and tell them who sent you. For Andre Simone, I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for joining us here from the DNVR Broncos Roadshow Podcast at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. We'll talk to you to wrap up Wednesday's practices on Thursday morning. Hope you'll join us then. Take care. Thanks for listening. All right. That's going to end.